Great to be with you today. I'm excited as we're going to kick off a new sermon series here at The Journey that'll go the next eight weeks. Um, before we get into it, I just want to share a couple things that have happened in my life the last couple of weeks. Um, Friday, this past Friday, I turned in three papers, many, many pages worth of papers, uh, to the final papers for my theology degree from Gordon-Conwell Seminary. And so, I, you see, submitted on the right side there with the check mark. I was just so happy to see that. It's a, it's a, it was very satisfying. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, another, another thing I'd like to share uh, that happened at our house is the conversion of part of our backyard into a mini basketball court. And now, Brian Niskern is, is the one in the center of the picture. He's a part of our, our church family. He runs BK and Sons Paving Company, a company started by his father. Uh, John Oliveira, who's also part of our church family, was there on the crew as well. They also did our driveway, which looks fantastic. But this, this is the really exciting thing in our household, the, the basketball court. And they were there for a couple of days doing their thing. And I was reflecting on all of the work that was happening at my house for those couple of days. So BK and Sons was outside doing what they were doing, and I was inside writing papers largely. Uh, and I was also during that time working on preparing my sermon for Easter. So there was a lot of work happening at my house, and, and in some ways it couldn't be more different. So Brian was working outside, I was working inside. Brian was doing work that was very physically engaging with his whole body. I was doing work largely while seated. The, the technology that Brian used was some, some earth-moving machinery, really, really rugged stuff. Uh, I was using a laptop and, <laughs> and some books, a lot of books. Um, they were working with tangible concrete materials to produce something. I was working largely in the realm of, of ideas, thought. Um, Brian and his crew got paid for what they were doing, and in terms of the, the grad work, I was actually paying the school to do the work, which is kind of sad when you say it out loud. But I was. Um, in some ways, you know, really, really different contrasting types of work. On the other hand, there was a lot in common between the work that we were doing. I think we both were working very hard for those couple of days. We both ran into some challenges, some frustrations, things beyond our control that maybe made things take longer than than we wish that it would. Um, we both drank a lot of coffee as we, as we did our work. In the end, we both produced something that we felt really satisfied with. Uh, and we were doing things that I think were a good fit for us, each of us. And we would look at each other, I think, and the work that we were doing and say, well, God bless you, brother, because I don't think I could do what you did. But I'm really glad that you do it. Really glad that you do it. Because at the end of the day, Brian and John and I, we're all part of the body of Christ here, kind of living out the things he's given us to do with the gifts and the talents that he's given us to do it. And I would submit that all of the work happening at my house those couple of days really matters to God. Really matters to God. And that leads us into our sermon series for these coming weeks, which is called Work Matters. It's a little bit of a double meaning in the sense that we will be approaching a lot of different matters related to work. We'll come at it from a variety of angles. There's a whole lot to explore in Scripture when it comes to work. But also this is a statement that work really matters in the sight of God, it matters to God tremendously. The things that we do day in and day out, whether it's paid employment or not, whether it's things that are visible or, or kind of behind the scenes, the things that God gives us to do on a day-to-day -day basis matter tremendously to Him. 
So we're going to look at work. Uh, the majority of this series is going to be grounded in our three core values as a church. We have three values we continually come back to. They are worship, community, and generosity, each rooted in, in the great love commandments in the Bible, to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourself, and to love one another. Now, of course, that involves church. Uh, worship involves gathering like this to worship God in, in this kind of setting. Community involves things like life groups and, and other points of connecting in Christian community with others. Generosity certainly entails giving and the generosity projects that we engage with as a church, but by and large, worship, community, and generosity, for the majority of us, the majority of the time we live that out, happens outside of formal church activity and structure. And a lot of it happens in our work, in the work that we do. Uh, a lot of the places where we, we live this out, the call to love God and to love others, happens in work. Our preaching team is really excited about this series to dive into it. And we do acknowledge, though, that for all of us who, who are part of the preaching team, the primary vocation that we are engaged in is full-time ministry. And, and everything we're going to say applies to as, us as much as anyone else, but we also do want to hear from others in the church. So we're hoping that as the series goes, each service will also be involving a testimony from someone in our church body who, who is from a variety of different workplaces, vocations, uh, and stations in life to share some of the collective wisdom that is here among us in our body of what it has looked like to try to worship and, and love our neighbor in the place of work. But before we get into all that this week, I want to just really root us in some foundational things about work, some really foundational truths about work. We're going to go way back and look at the origins of work. And to do that, we'll go way back to the origins of everything found in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. So if you're following along, and I would encourage you to follow along, uh, in the Bibles provided for you, that would be on page 1. <laughs> so you can turn there. Now I'm not going to read all of Genesis 1 through 3, and certainly not going to try to explain it all. There is so much there. You can go back in our sermon podcast archives and find some really great teaching from Pastor Tom on these chapters that exposit them, explain some of the things like the relation between science and creation, or the relationship between Genesis 1 and 2, or what was going on with Adam and Eve and the trees. Um, we're going to look at this and, and touch down specifically as it pertains to work today. But this is the origin, this is the genesis of everything, and the genesis of work is right here at the heart of things. Right in the beginning, verse 1, 1, says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And all through the rest of chapter 1 describes that, what this looked like, God's act of creating as he created all sorts of things, sun and moon and stars, earth, sky, sea and land, plant life, animal life, and then culminating in the creation of human life, at the end of which he said, oh, it's very good. And then after all of that in chapter 1, we begin chapter 2. You could turn there. Kind of a summary. It says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from the work of creating that he had done. We'll probably come back to this verse in a few weeks when we talk about a healthy rhythm of work and rest. 
But the thing I want to highlight here is that in just this short little passage, three times the word work appears to make it abundantly clear that what God was doing in creation was work. So right from the beginning, that's God's activity, is work. And, and if you look at Genesis 1, you can see lots of types of work that might be familiar to us. God as a, as a designer, as a creator, as kind of, a, kind of an engineer, an architect who sort of has a, a thing in mind and then, and then makes it a reality in the material realm, takes, takes a vision and, and materializes it. We see God doing some very high-quality craftsmanship. I mean, however old the earth is and the, the stars and the planets, you've got to admit, that's some pretty well-put-together stuff. I mean, it has been functioning for a long, long time. It's, it's incredibly good work. And it's not just functional either. It doesn't just meet a need, but it's actually quite beautiful. Genesis 1 captures that, that God, the work that God did was beautiful. You see him as kind of an artist, a creator, someone who doesn't just build functional things, but makes things that are aesthetically pleasing as well. We see God communicating, using his word, a lot of speaking things into being. We see him evaluating and analyzing what he's done and, and, and calling it what it is. All sorts of work that God is doing, and it, and it all summarizes the work of creation. So this is really important to know that actually God works. It's a, it's a foundational truth, and, and it's not actually the case in, in every worldview. There are other ancient Near Eastern creation accounts in which the aim of the gods was to, to not work or to work as little as possible, to kind of sit back and enjoy a life of, of leisure and detachment while people did all the work, all the dirty work, and, and manual work in particular was, was seen as sort of a lesser type of living, whereas the, the godly, the god type of living was, was leisure and, and a distance from work. And some of us might see work that way. Yeah, the good life is really to work as little as possible, a life of leisure, let other people do the work. Well, that is not the God we're talking about here. That's actually not what it means to imitate God. A life of imitating God and growing to be more like him is going to involve a life of work because God works. Not just here in Genesis, but it continues on. All throughout Scripture, there are a number of images, metaphors used to characterize God, and a lot of them are actually vocations and professions like a shepherd, or a parent, or a farmer, or a vineyard keeper, a potter, someone who makes pottery, uh, a teacher, a ruler, a judge, uh, a manager. All sorts of things are used to describe God. These are all kind of working language. God continues to work all throughout Scripture. And there's a number of ways his ongoing work is described. God continues to work to sustain the creation that he has made. He works to redeem the creation that he's made and to bring about new life and to recreate people. Jesus is actively interceding at the right hand of God, we're told. He, he's working. God is not just sitting around doing nothing. So we can't have a picture of God that, that looks that way. That's not who he is. God is a God who, who works. And so to then aspire to a sort of godly life is not to just sit around doing nothing, but to have a life that, that's active. And, and it involves some kind of work. So this is our God, one who, who works. And in a lot of other uh, creation accounts, the, the deities, they create people to sort of do all the work for them. We create people in order to get work done. But, but in Genesis, we see a God who creates people in order to work with him, not to work for him. 
That's really important. God didn't create human beings just to work for him while he sat back, but to work with him, to collaborate with him, partner with him in his ongoing work in the creation that he'd made. He created us to do that. So that gets to our second point here that we see in Genesis is that we, people, bear God's image by working. We are people who somehow bear the image of God. If you look in Genesis 1:27, the creation of people is described. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So somehow we're characterized as, as God's image bearers, as people who are not God but represent God in the world in a, in a profound and a particular way. We, we show what God is like and we take on some of his characteristics. We, we bear his image. And part of that, core to that actually, is to work. So the next verse, 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So immediately upon being created to bear God's image, human beings are given some stuff to do, some really meaningful work, both to procreate, to to raise, and to care for for children, also to, to rule in a sense, to kind of have some dominion, to exercise stewardship, over the created world that God has made to both explore and discover what it's like and then to, in turn, cultivate it and make new things out of it and to use our God-given capacities to work, we're immediately given things to do. And then in chapter 2, we'll bounce down, chapter 2, verse 15, in the Garden of Eden, it says, The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Again, immediately given some meaningful work to do, cultivating the earth, caring for it, participating with God, partnering him in in the ongoing care and development of his creation. Now, I want to highlight that the verse I just read is right in the Garden of Eden, in paradise, there's work. So if you think paradise, what comes to mind? Do you imagine work? Or do you imagine the absence of work, the end of work, or an escape from work? A lot of us do, but that is not the biblical picture of paradise. Paradise in Eden before the fall. Paradise down the road in the renewed creation that God's going to bring about when Jesus comes again. It's not the absence of work, and it's not an escape from work. It's actually a life where work is right at the heart of it. Just done really good, really good but not the absence of work. So we, we've got to understand that. Now, I want to do a, a quick little thought experiment. Uh, let's go a little further here. There's a picture of a, a child that'll come up. And uh, I'd love to ask you, what, what do you think? Is this baby playing or working? I didn't really hear what any of you said. It was a, it was a murmur. But <laughs> <laughs> the, the title on the Google image is Baby Playing. And... Sure, he's playing. Of course he is. Look at him playing, having a good time. But I'd submit to you that he's also working. And, and if you wonder if he is, I'd, I'd say just walk by him and, and kick over his little tower of blocks. <laughs> and you'll see in, in the protest and the tantrum that ensues, he would basically be saying, hey, I was working here. I was building that. I was making something. 
Who's working? He's just carrying out what it means to be an image bearer, a human being, uh, kind of exploring the properties of the solid, of the wood, and of, of the shapes and gravity and how it all fits together, and then taking things and making something new out of it. What was kind of blocks scattered on the floor has now become a tower. He's, he's done something with it. He's cultivated it. I mean, that, that's work. It is. And it's core to what it means to be human. You might think, oh, how could you say he's working? He's just a baby. He's having too much fun. Uh, there's no job involved. Well, th- that might just reveal thoughts we have about what work really is, that maybe it's only for certain age groups, or maybe it's, it's got to be a drag. It can't possibly be enjoyable. Or maybe it's got to be transactional in some way. But I think this is just kind of the nature in which God created us, to, to explore the world, to make something of it, and to respond to it actively with the capacities that he's given us. That's work, and that's what it means to, to bear God's image, whether it's paid or not, whether you are a student, whether you're retired, whatever the case may be. We were created uh, to work and to partner with God in that way. The third thing I'd like to say about work that's foundational out of Genesis is that work is a gift. Work is actually a gift. Now, this is not explicitly stated anywhere in the text of Genesis 1 and 2, but if you really properly understand the creation account, you understand that the whole thing is grace. That is a gift of God. Because God didn't have to make any of this stuff, but he did. And he didn't have to make human beings, but he did. And he does not have to involve human beings in what he's doing in the world, but he does. And so it's grace. It's actually a gift that we get to bear God's image, and and in turn, we get to work. I don't know how often we ever say that I get to work. More often than not, we say I have to work. And it's understandable work meets certain needs, and there is a way that work is a, mean, is a means to certain ends, uh, and, and we have obligations that are, that are related to it. But fundamentally, at the, at the heart of things, in the big picture, it's not so much that we have to work, it's we get to work as people who are made in God's image and participate with him in the world. I know it might sound really awkward to try to work that into your conversation, to say, oh, I get to work today, or what do you get to do today? I get to do that, but try it maybe. Practice it, or at least cultivate the posture of it and how you communicate about work. Um, it's not just positive thinking. It's actually really good theology. We get to work. I see this exhibited in uh, folks like Marcia, we've had the chance to walk alongside dozens and dozens of people now from the Channing House and the Linda Fay House, halfway houses for, for people in recovery in our neighborhood. And the way the, the program works, when you, when you first enter in, the work you do is, is to work on your recovery. There's really not much else outside the program. Uh, and it is real work to devote yourself to the work of getting sober, maintaining sobriety, uh, dealing with some of the things that are involved in that. And then once you reach a certain point in the program, you go into another phase in which you're then permitted to get a job outside the house and to then work in the more traditional sense. And now I've watched dozens of people make that transition, hit that point, and I've never heard any of them say anything like, I guess I have to work now. I guess I have to go get a job now. It's been nice not to have one, but they're making... It's like nothing even remotely close to that. It's all 
joy and excitement and wonder, like, oh, I get to work again. Oh, I've got an interview next week. Oh, these people hired me. Oh, I start work tomorrow. I'm so excited about it. It's all joy. It's all excitement. And it really captures something powerfully true that I think is in Genesis, that fundamentally work is something we were made to do that we get to do. And it's a gift. And I find this joy contagious, honestly, when I'm tempted to, to think lower of work. Uh, these friends have really reminded me that it's, in fact, a, a great gift, a great privilege to be able to work as someone who God has made. It's a gift. So, you know, what do we communicate about our work? What do we tell our kids? You know, sometimes we just say it so often, I have to work, you know, and it's a reasonable excuse for why I can't be at home all day or why I can't play right now. I've got to work. But I hope we're also communicating something of the fact that Work is a, is a really essential part of life. It's great. It's not just a, a necessary evil that we have to do, but it's actually something wonderful, part of life. I've mentored a, a young guy for a while who graduated college a few years back. I'll call him Jake. And Jake said when, when he graduated college, he was, he was terrified because he'd been dreading that day since he was a little kid, dreading the day when he would graduate from college because he knew at that point he would have to get a job. Uh, now, he had actually been working that whole time as a student, working very hard, but he thought, oh, when I graduate, I have to work. And in his mind, that had been built up into the worst thing ever, largely because of what his dad communicated to him growing up about work. His father came home every day resentful and angry that he had gone to work that day and his father actually had this retirement countdown on the wall that was very prominent in the house of retiring, counting down the days, the minutes until he'd get to retire. And now the thing is, the guy's still not actually retired. And this has gone back decades. Like, I could see if you've got a year left, it's a fun thing to count down, but it's been counting this down for decades. How much longer do I have to do this until I finally can get free and not have to do this anymore? And that's the house that Jake grew up in. And so that, that shapes how you see things. And, and so he approached graduation with dread because he thought, oh my gosh, the day that I have to start going to work is going to be the day I die. And he really thought that. But by God's grace, God has shown him in, in his early post-college years that it's actually not like that, that work is, is in fact a gift. It's a place where he can encounter God. It's a place where he can find some satisfaction and some fulfillment, but it's taken the Lord's intervention to kind of change his mind. So again, I just ask that, well, what are we communicating about work? I hope we commu- I want to communicate more and more like my friends in the, in the halfway houses that, man, work, yeah, sure, it can be hard sometimes, but I'm, I'm really grateful that I get to do it. I really am. So work is fundamentally a gift, but of course, it's not paradise. We don't live in paradise anymore. And so it's important that we not just stop at Genesis 1 and 2 and all the beautiful things that it affirms about work, but we move into Genesis 3, which is known as the account of the fall. The fall being the the moment when human beings disrupted the created order and said to God, you know, actually, we'd rather not take you at your word and have you be in charge. We'd want to run the show ourselves. And they disobey God, and, and from that point forward, everything starts to kind of unravel. And nothing is as it was before. Everything is, is corrupted now by a curse, by sin. 
It includes all sorts of things. Our humankind's relationship with God becomes fractured. Relationship between men and women becomes tense, conflict. Um, relationship between human beings and the earth is no longer what it ought to be, what it was created to be, and all of that continues to this day. And one of the things that's explicitly mentioned as profoundly affected by the fall is work. In Genesis 3, chapter 16, God says to the woman, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. So this good work that had been present before the fall continues after the fall, and thank God it is still very good work. We can all praise God that our mothers chose to do it. But, but it's much more painful now. And then to the man, to Adam, he says in verse 17, because you ate of the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Dang. <laughs> it's just never going to be the same, and it hasn't been. And work so often feels this way now, this phrase, painful toil. Through painful toil, you'll do your work. Again, the work that was present and good before creation, it continues, and it continues to be good work, to bring forth fruit from the ground. Again, essential for us to survive. It's wonderful, but it's not the same. It is painful now. It's a struggle. It's not what it was before. There's obstacles. There's frustration in regard to it. It doesn't go as well as we'd like. It doesn't go as easy. It's draining. Work can, can suck the energy out of us. And ultimately, there's a sense of futility introduced here. You know, you're going to do all this, and then you're just going to return to the dust that you came from. And so often, we feel that futility with work. Like, what am I even doing all this for? We get to the end of your life. What, what was even the point? What do I have to show for it? So there's frustration. There's difficulty. There's pain. There's struggle. And there is futility, all introduced into work. And that continues. And the effects of work, the effects of the curse, the fall on work, are so pervasive. They certainly affect our experience of work, personally, in all the ways that I've just mentioned. But also, sin is present in work now in, in ways that, that stretch so far and wide. Work becomes a place where greed is practiced, where people are exploited, where workplaces are oppressive, workers are oppressed. Work becomes a place of tremendous conflict and struggle and strain. It becomes a place of unrealized dreams and opportunities. You know, we have so many things we can envision that perhaps we could do or could bring about, but we never get the chance to do it. Or perhaps we work really hard at something for a long time, it goes completely unrecognized or completely unappreciated. Work, work oppresses and exploits. There are people doing work now that is physically dangerous for them and shortens their lives only to satisfy desires of people like us for many things cheaply. There's so many ways that the curse has impacted and, and had an effect on work. And from now on, there really is no curse-free work. There really is no work that doesn't bear the effects of the fall or bring us into the effects of the fall. And that's important to know as well, alongside the glory and the beauty of work, that, that none of it is, is apart from the curse anymore. 
Some of us, I think, can have a bit of an idealistic picture of work. We think maybe someday or somewhere out there is this perfect job, this perfect vocation where I can go to work every day and just love it. And, and it's related to my passions, my deepest passions in life. I get to live them out at work, and all of my gifts and talents and abilities will be realized and actualized, and people will appreciate me and all, and all the work that I do, and it'll make a difference in the world. We want all of these things, but that, that just really doesn't happen for everybody. It really doesn't happen for most people, at least completely. And sometimes if all that stuff is not happening, if we have an idealistic picture of work, we might think, oh, something must have gone terribly wrong. Maybe I'm in the wrong place. There's got to be something better out there. Perhaps I, I heard God wrong when I sensed him leading me into this particular job. And on the one hand, something has gone profoundly wrong in that the curse has happened and has affected everything. But the fact that you encounter sin and struggle and the effects of the curse in your work does not necessarily mean you're in the wrong place. And we don't need to have a crisis about where God has placed us because if you go somewhere else, you're still going to run into the effects of the curse and the fall in your work because it's, it's everywhere. And for many of us, actually, the, the work we've been created to do, the very thing that we've been placed on this earth to do, brings us face-to-face with some extremely painful realities every day with the effects of the curse, brings us face to face with death and destruction and all sorts of things that are really quite difficult to face, but that's actually part of the work that God has called us to do. And we can't expect that there is any curse-free work. It's important to note a couple things here. One is that in this story, work is not the enemy, however. The enemy is sin, And work is something that is affected by it, but it was a good thing before and it continues on after. Work is not the enemy. The other thing to note is that the curse is not the end of the story. We have only looked at Acts 1 and 2 of the great drama of Scripture. We've looked at creation and the fall, but the rest of Scripture is is a story of redemption, a story of God's working to combat the fall and sin and its effects, working to redeem human beings, to redeem human communities, and to redeem his creation. That is the story of the rest of Scripture, culminating in Jesus, and and then one day coming to fruition, and when Jesus comes again to make all things new. It's a redemptive story, and we're going to look at redemptive work We've got these foundations now. We live in this tension between the created good and the fall, and we're going to look in the coming weeks at what redemptive work looks like. Jesus uh, came, and, and the Apostle John wrote this in 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. To destroy the devil's work. Jesus didn't come to destroy work, because work is not the enemy. And he didn't come to liberate us into some work-free existence, but he came to destroy the devil's work. And in inviting us to partner with him, he does so largely through our work is is what can do this. The devil's work is everywhere around us, causing death, causing people to remain sick, to to be ignorant, to be hungry, to be in bondage of all sorts of kinds, to be hopeless, to be unsafe. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy human life. And so much of the work that that we are invited into to participate in with God is to counteract the devil's work in that way and to promote human flourishing 
so that people are fed and safe and secure and warm and liberated and brought to wholeness, healing, given purpose, given beauty in their lives. So much of that work destroys the devil's work. But also in us, the the work of the devil in us uh, is what it was way back then to try to get us to worship something other than God. And man, can work be a place where that happens. So many of us can worship our work. We can make, make it way too big a thing in our lives. Or we worship other things in the context of our work, whether, our, whether money or power or status or the need for esteem and recognition or for identity. We worship these things. And as we submit ourselves to God and let God speak into and be the Lord over our work, that is a place where the work of the devil is dismantled in our lives as well. So, redemptive work, we're going to look at it. What does worship, community, and generosity look like, lived out in the context of our work? See, church is not just a place to hide out and get spiritually filled apart from our work. Church is what we, who we are and who we are in our work settings and what we take with us to love God and to love others everywhere that God places us to be. It's a beautiful thing. And so when we have these foundations now that we've looked at today, the things to keep in mind, one is to not take too low a view of work. Don't take too low a view of work to see it as a necessary evil or just a thing to endure or a thing to get through in hopes of deliverance into some work-free life. That's not what God has in mind. Work is core to what it means to be human, part of paradise and something that God has great expectations for and is present in. We need to have a high view of work. A famous Christian once said that if Jesus is not the Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. And that means he's the Lord of our work. Not just the Lord of our worship services, but the Lord everywhere we go. We need to have a high view of work that sees it that way. And yet we also can't take too high a view of work. Because one thing that this creation account emphasizes is that work is a created thing, but it's not the creator. And anytime we take a created thing and we make it an ultimate thing instead of God, that is what the Bible calls idolatry. And man, is there idolatry present in our work sometimes. We make it an ultimate thing. We look to work to satisfy things that it can't, but only can be satisfied in God. We all have holes inside, the need for validation, the need for recognition, the need for security, the need for a sense of self, purpose, and identity. And ultimately work It just won't and cannot satisfy these things at the deepest level. Only God can. But he doesn't do it just by divorcing us from work or liberating us from work once and for all, but in the context of our work and through our work, we become people who find our identity in God as his partners and his image bearers, his co-creators in the world, which is a beautiful thing. And I'm excited for how he's going to invite us deeper into that as we move forward. So let me pray for us.